0: Hello, and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. I'm John out here in beautiful southern New England, and I am joined by Chris. Christopher, how are
1: you? John, I'm well. Thank you. How are
0: so you? I'm, I'm delightful, as uh, Rex Harrison would say. So <laughs> it's, um, wow, it is October and, uh, you know, the leaves are falling and all that sad stuff. Um, and it it blew my mind to think that October marks six months of listening Closely with John and Chris. Now, I know that six months doesn't sound like much. But for something that was an afterthought idea born out of uh, being... <laughs> uh, Lay laid up in bed with COVID in in late March. Yeah, uh, I'm quite proud of what uh, what we've done just, here in six months.
1: Can I just make clear that you were laid up in bed with COVID? It wasn't we weren't laid up in bed with COVID together.
0: Not no, could be no. wrong
1: with that. But uh, you
0: know, no, 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 I I agree. Thank you for for clarifying that. No, that means okay. a lot. Um, yeah. It, <laughs> I never thought it would last this long, to be honest with you. Uh, Six months, 23 episodes. I think, is this episode number 23? I believe it is. Uh, I never thought we would have made it. And again, I know to some this doesn't sound like a major accomplishment, but I'm going to take some time and uh, pat myself on the back, and I should hope you're going to do the same, Chris. Uh, And I want to thank you, Chris, my, my partner in crime, though not in that way, as you indicated, uh, but rather uh, the, the yin to my yang, or vice versa, uh, the Vanzetti to my sacco, the Ehrlichman to my Haldeman. Uh, the, it is you, Christopher.
1: Wow. I, this is, wow, I'm, this is sort of like the Jerry Maguire you complete me speech here. I'm a little <laughs> choked. Um,
0: Show me the money, baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's been a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, it just sort of started as a lark and uh, it's been great. And I think we got to thank all the listeners too. We've been getting listeners across just about every continent actually. which is kind of crazy. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, here's to at least another six months more.
0: I should hope so. I mean, it's, it's been quite a ride. And uh, again, I, I, I thank you. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say I couldn't do it without you. I mean, I, I could do it without you.
1: You uh, did. You did the first episode did. without me. So, right.
0: yeah. But it wouldn't be nearly as good without you. Um, and frankly, it wouldn't be nearly as good without our listeners, which you just mentioned. And um, this is important to note. In six short months, we have grown our listening audience significantly uh, through some, some, minor marketing efforts but also just from I, I don't know osmosis who knows uh but i'm i'm proud to say that close to 30 percent of the listen closely audience uh, are located overseas we have listeners in countries that i didn't even think listened to podcasts to be quite honest with you um even more fascinating is that we have listeners in some real far-flung lands. Uh, we have, of course, we have listeners in Saudi Arabia. Did you know this?
1: No. Get out of here.
0: We do. We ha- Are you ready for this? We have listeners in Lithuania. And uh, I bring this up because, uh, you know, little-known fact to our listeners, although your, your dad's family is from the same part of southern Italy as, as my father, uh, your mother's family, if I'm not mistaken – is lithuanian
1: they are yeah 100 percent. wow that's amazing
0: so out so to our lithuanian listeners if you are uh listening to this episode uh our, our boy chris here is is kind of one of your people uh chris can you say anything in lithuanian to them
1: Oof, i don't think i can um, right, never mind i'll have to work on that i'll have to work on that fine
0: I can't say anything in Saudi Arabian, so it's, it's perfectly fine.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's a language, but, you know, whatever. Um, whatever. <laughs> but I, but but I
0: think, things, what's that?
1: I think, yeah, to our Lithuanian listeners, uh, hit us up on Twitter, to any of our listeners. Um, I would love to, love to hear from you from the homeland, uh, at podcast closely
0: or hit us up on Instagram at listenclosely.podcast. And and really, thank you to the listeners for your continued uh, support and your patience. Um, And I should hope that moving forward, you keep listening to us. You know, cities are burning. The pandemic is still sweeping the country, and we're in the midst of a nutty little thing called the presidential election. Now more than ever, you need listen closely with John and Chris in your life.
1: Undoubtedly. It's, uh, it's the medicine you need to get you through this.
0: It really is. And on that note, Chris, why don't you, would you like to uh, intro this week's fantastic album?
1: I would. This is our first, I believe, our first repeat performer. On it this is. closely. Um, break out the red headbands again. We are going to October of 1980 for Dire Straits classic, Making Movies.
0: That's right, released October 17th, 1980. Uh, we're celebrating the 40th birthday of this amazing album. And it should be said, this is a few years before Knopfler really started rocking the Red head, Headband and sure. became an MTV superstar. Um, sure. And, and in October of 1980, he released what I feel truly is his masterpiece, Making Movies. I don't know about you, Chris, but if I were to summarize this album in a single word, it would be beautiful. I just think that musically and lyrically, this album is absolutely beautiful. Uh, Sometimes even moving.
1: Oh, definitely moving. Yeah. I think, you know, amazingly, this album's only about 37, 38 minutes long. It's only got seven tracks, um, you know, but it manages to cram so much in there. And I think it's a really important album for Dire Straits, too. You know, they, they kind of evolved. This was their third album. The first one was really warmly received. Second one, not so much. And here they really bounced back with a fantastic album.
0: They really did. And, you know, you talk about it being only 37 minutes in length. There's only seven tracks. And as I was listening to it a lot, uh, gladly over the last week or so, uh, I thought back to our our younger days. Uh, not that we're old, but uh, when you and I were probably in elementary or middle school, and we had this this fascination with baseball, and in particular with the statistical side of baseball. I think yeah. back to that uh, that computer uh, baseball game we used to play on my brother's old Commodore sixty four, yeah. and we actually used to keep box scores on the on the players. Do you remember this? And we were so hung up on just the statistics of these players. Oh, yeah. Uh, the point I'm getting at is um, Making Movies has only seven songs. But in my opinion, five of them are some of my all-time favorites. And statistically speaking, that makes this album pretty damn amazing.
1: Yeah. There, there's, there's not much not to like on it. Um, you know, it's got, you know, I would say three or maybe, maybe more, maybe, I don't know if I'd go five. I think to me there's like maybe three just incredible songs, a couple really good songs and then a couple, eh, um, you know, not bad, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's tremendous. I think they, you know, I think one of the big things here is, is the bringing in of Roy Batan.
0: Absolutely from the E Street Band.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that adds such a layer of complexity to this album that Dire Straits didn't have before, as good as they were before. It just added another element um, that turned it up to 11, so to speak.
0: It did, it it really did. I mean, for me, this album is possibly in my top 10 of all time. If not top 10, uh, top 15, if such a thing were to exist. Um, I, I think it's just that damn good. I really do.
1: That's amazing. I mean, I like this album a lot, but that's uh, that's some high praise right there.
0: Well, you'll understand why as we as we dig deeper into it. But I think there's just a lot here, and I really just think the songs are incredible, and it it really shows off the genius of Mark Knopfler. Uh, the The Brothers in Arms album was the commercially successful one. It was the one that really made them global superstars, MTV darlings. Uh, But I think this is a much, much better album, in my opinion. Um, You know, it's interesting because listening to it, uh, over the years I've always wondered what the catalyst was to name the album Making Movies. I know that it's a line from one of the songs in the album Skate Away, which was originally titled Making Movies, from what I read. Um, But I always thought that, you know, based on the album, and the content of the album. I always thought like tunnel of love or Romeo and Juliet would have made the better album title, but you know, listening to a Chris several times this last week or so, it finally dawned on me, I think. And I see this album like a film, much like you did a couple weeks ago with Brian Ferry's Bet Noir. But this to me is a film with, with Knopfler as the brilliant auteur. And in my opinion, or my belief, my view of the album, uh, it's a film that's made up of seven seven different vignettes with the Mm -hmm. occasional overlapping theme or recurring motif within the vignettes, like Young Love and Lust, something like that. Uh, And I think that's what really makes this album interesting. I think it makes this album at times complex. Knopfler, as as we noted during the, the um, Brothers in Arms episode last season, started out as a newspaper reporter. And he has a great ability to tell these very well-detailed, clever stories. And uh, I think that's really evident here on this album. But he isn't simply telling fictional tales. There's a deeply personal moment on this album for him that I think casual listeners don't pick up on. And it's, uh, do do you know what moment I'm referring to before I? No. What's it's, it's inarguably what's the album's most famous track. uh, Number two, Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. And uh, did you know that that song is partially based on Knopfler's failed relationship with Holly Vincent, who was lead singer of a late 70s band called Holly and the Italians. Strange band. Hmm. Um, did you not know that?
1: I did not, no, no.
0: I didn't either. It was one of my former bosses, actually, a fellow who I worked for a few years ago. He was a diehard music fan. Uh, big Dire Straits fan actually told me this. And uh, as we were prepping for this episode, I looked into it. Uh, Knopfler felt, because Knopfler was somewhat of a success at the time uh, that he was writing this album. He felt that Holly Vincent was using him to further her career. Uh, if she was, it didn't work because I really have no clue who the hell Holly Vincent is. I don't think most of our listeners do. Right. But in an interview Italian. shortly after, well, yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> uh, in an interview shortly after their breakup, when asked about Knopfler, Vincent replied, what happened was that I had a scene with Mark Knopfler and it got to the point where he couldn't handle it and we split up. Hence the line. Now you just say Romeo. Oh yeah. You know, I used to have a scene with him.
1: Oh wow.
0: So again, I go back to the, the motif of, of young love of, of breakdowns of relationship. And I think there are, again, Knopfler is, is telling stories here, as he does a great job. But there is that moment in Romeo and Juliet, uh, which is perhaps one of a few moments on the album, I don't know, that's, uh, I think, deeply personal for Mark Knopfler. And I think, it's, I think it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I think this album really just shows off so much of what Knopfler is about. Um, and, and what I m- mean by that is that he's... He's so brilliant, but he's so subtle, I think, in just about every way, um, whether it's the stories that he tells, or as you referenced when we did Brothers in Arms, his guitar playing is, right. I mean, he's a virtuoso, but he, he never comes out and just hits you over the head with some screaming solo, you know? He kind of eases into it, and you, don't, you almost don't even realize it, and then you're swept up in in this gorgeous solo, you know, he, it's a little. I think his guitar playing is a little more, um, a little more subdued on this than maybe other albums. But you know, th- there's definitely several songs here where he busts out a great solo. But it's it's just so smooth and seamless within the um, within the songs. You know, I I liken it to, you know, I think a lot of guys when they do or girls when they do a guitar solo you know, it's kind of like an actor who wants to do the Pacino thing, you know, and they're just coming at it, you know, like Pacino, you know, just over the top. Um, But Nafor is like a really good actor who just kind of, he never forces it. He just kind of lets the moment develop. And I think that's his genius.
0: I agree. He's graceful, elegant, and understated. I think when it comes to, uh, to his guitar work. And to me, I, I think he's one of the greatest and I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about what the critics had to say about this. Shall we? Sure. In their February, 1981 review of the album, I think Rolling Stone magazine said it best. They said, quote, if making movies really were a film, it might win a flock of Academy awards End quote. And in 1989, they would rank Making Movies number 52 in their survey of the 100 best albums of the 1980s. In a modern review for allmusic.com, Stephen Thomas Erlewine claims that Making Movies ranks among the band's finest work. And I would have to agree with that. Absolutely. So what do you think? Should we dive into our picks, Chris?
1: Yeah, let's do it. I think this is going to be a very interesting set of picks here.
0: I'm ready. Bring it on.
1: All righty, all righty, all righty.
0: So with that in mind, Chris, what did you go with as your nadir?
1: Very tough one. Um For me, this came down to two songs and they just so happen to be the last two songs on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I don't particularly love Lay's boys, I'm gonna give them some, some credit for doing that song in 1980. It's a bizarre <laughs> topic to tackle. <clears throat> so I, I went with solid rock um really
0: really really
1: you know i don't this is an amazing album and dire straits fans don't you know castigate me here i'm not saying it's a bad song i actually think there's a lot of moments in this song that are great there's a real there's kind of a fantastic driving um beat to it but for me there's something about the refrain that just uh it rubs me the wrong way i think it's the repetition of solid rock solid rock solid rock um,
0: Can you do that one more time?
1: <laughs> no, no, I will not. Come on, man. Repeat it. <laughs> repeat it. <laughs> Solid that was rock. awesome. Solid rock. Solid rock. Solid rock. That, like it just, it grates on me a little bit. Um, and again, this is like, you know, picking, uh, picking out flaws in a diamond here. It's, um, there's not a lot in this album, but if I had to, I'd go with that one. Really? Your thoughts?
0: I don't love Solid Rock. Uh, you know, I I think it's coming on the heels of the what the five songs that come before it. Oh, it's yeah. it's nothing. But but Les Boys is is really <laughs> terrible. It's a terrible song. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for Les Boys a little later on in this episode. But it. All uh, right, this, this segues into my nadir, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm with you. I don't think solid rock is great. It's a little repetitive with that solid rock. So do you want to do it again?
1: Solid rock, solid rock, solid rock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark. I know that you're, there's a good chance that you're listening to this. I love you, man. <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> I, I think solid rock's an okay song. Uh, but I feel like Knopfler saved the worst for last, and My Deer is obviously less boys. Um, It's just, (laughs) it's so strange. (laughs) It is, it is. (laughs) And you know, Chris, some of the more modern reviews that I read about this album, you know, they sing the praises of the album, but they've gone as far as to call this song offensive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, well,
0: because I mean, there's like, there's there's homosexual references, but then there's kind of a Nazi component to it as well, right?
1: Oh, there is. It's the les boys wear uh, what is it? Wear Nazi hats or caps or something? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me though, what I will say for it is again, some bold subject matter. I mean, this is a song about les boys or, or sort of effeminate young homosexuals who would have sex uh, on the down low <laughs> before it was known as the down low with like rich businessmen. I think that's at least what I, my understanding of it is.
0: Long before grinder.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, you know, I, musically, I, I don't, <clears throat> the song does nothing for me. Um, you know I think it says something about nawar though that he was willing to write a a song like this in nineteen eighty uh to explore that that element of of society um you know i I did read something somebody asked him about in an interview and he said you know that he he kind of whatever he's writing he, he tries to find parallels and um you know, and that, that one might not seem like there's a lot of parallels to Dire Straits, but he said, you know, these, these boys are sort of like performers in a way, and you go into these bars, and you know, he said he could relate to them as like a, a performer in a sense, and I don't know. I mean, I'm with you, it's not a good song.
0: But you still think it's better than Solid Rock?
1: I I don't in terms of like, I would never listen to this song. I'm just giving him credit for the artistic uh for for taking on something outside of the box.
0: Alright. Okay. Yeah. All okay. right. Yeah. Let's uh let's move on, shall we? Yeah.
1: I mean at least this went better than the last Nadir when we did dire straits when the our friendship almost ended over walk of life.
0: Walk uh, you know what? Don't even don't, <laughs> don't even, even go there. <laughs> walk of life is a terrible sign. All
1: right, let's let's yeah. Listen to the Walk of Life episode, episode folks, and you can, you can be the judge, but. Uh... Dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christopher. Let's, let's, let's get on the right track here, hopefully. Uh, lay it on me. Your sleeper moment of Dire Straits making movies.
1: So sleeper moment, um, to me there were a couple, a couple possibilities here. Um, and in the end, I went with the fourth track, Expresso Love. Ooh.
0: Um, great song.
1: Yeah, it's great. I think, you know, it's one that I, as I dove into this over the last week or two, you know, I wasn't as familiar with that as I was with, of course, Romeo and Juliet, Tunnel of Love, Skate Away. But um, I don't know, it really grabbed me this time around. I think it's a little, it's definitely a little grittier, a little harder edge to it. Um, than what comes before so it's kind of cool in that way it mixes it up a little bit Um, you know it's a little it's it's a little ridiculous in a way kind of all these coffee references and and you
0: know i don't want no sugar in it
1: right right right. but it's fun and you know there's i i just really think it's a good a good track Um, keeps the album going keeps it moving great song yeah How about you?
0: It was tough. You know, part of me was going to go with espresso love, but I think that uh, the first three or four tracks on the album, including espresso love received some degree of airplay and still do on like classic rock radio. And Mm -hmm. there was even uh, a quite interesting music video for skate away that I remember seeing as a child Mm -hmm. on MTV back in the day. Mm -hmm. But I ultimately went with hand in hand which I feel is the very definition of a sleeper moment. Yeah. Um, You know, it's this sweet little gem of a song buried on the second side of the album. It doesn't have the guitar virtuosity on display that the rest of the album does, but it has this beautiful melody and thematically it's similar to some of the other songs in the album. I I love it. I always have. Uh, I, I think it's just a great song and lyrically it's, it's amazing. I, I, I love the yeah. refrain. If I, if I've been hard on you, I never chose to be, I never wanted no one else. And I tried my best to be somebody you'd be close to hand in hand, like lovers are supposed to. And uh, you know, in some way I see this kind of the sequel to Romeo and Juliet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful, beautiful song. And you're right. It, it is. Um, it's kind of the definition of a sleeper. And in some ways, this album reminds me a lot, not in terms of the the style, but um, in sort of the overall makeup of it, of Asia by Steely Dan, which we did a few, a uh, couple months ago, just in that it's seven songs, um, but it packs so much in. And that one also, if you remember, you get, you know, you start out with like four huge heavy hitters. Right. Then you get Home at Last, which is, it, you know, kind of takes it down a notch. It lets you catch your breath in the same way that. Hand in hand does I think for making movies.
0: I would agree. I would yeah. agree. Very yeah. similar in that respect. Yeah. So that takes us to the zenith. And what do you have?
1: This was a tough one. Uh, was... I feel like I always say that, but it's true. Um, you know, I think Romeo and Juliet is probably the best track, sort of as objectively as as can be stated on on this album. Um, I'm a little worn down by it. I've heard it so many times. It makes me think of our high school dances. Um,
0: That's right. It was the theme to one of the proms, if I'm not mistaken. I
1: think it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, Skateaway is actually probably my favorite song on this album. Right. Uh, But I went with a a more of a moment here. Um, The last two minutes of Tunnel of Love, to me... are why'd you say what the fuck? Uh,
0: finish please.
1: All right. The last two minutes of that, it's Knopfler. Uh guitar he, he eases into this guitar solo. You almost don't even realize it's a solo until you're halfway into it because it's so smooth like we talked about before. You know, it doesn't he doesn't hit you over the head. He just kind of starts off on this little jaunt and the next thing you know you are you are swept up in this gorgeous melody. And then, and this is the big thing, Roy Batan comes in in um, parts of that solo, especially towards the end. And it's this beautiful, beautiful uh, addition on the keyboards that he adds. And the two of them, between Nafur on the guitar, Batan on the, on the uh, keyboard, it just says to me, it's kind of this announcement of like, we're back. And we are just better than ever. We have taken things up to the next level. Get ready for the album that's going to blow your fucking doors off. And I just love that moment.
0: It's first class rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, I said what the fuck earlier. Um, yeah. Because that is exactly what I chose as my Xena. What? Yeah, I, I, I'll show you my notes. I will take a picture of the notes that I'm reading and text it to you right now. But my notes here say, very difficult decision to make. But much like I did on the first episode of the season, I went with a moment on this album. And that moment is the last two and a half minutes of the lead-off track, Tunnel of Love. Oh my God. Um, and I, I, you said it best. I mean, I'll add a couple things here. It starts for me... Chris, when Knopfler repeats the song's refrain toward the end, but in a hushed, almost whisper of a tone, mm. he's almost speaking it. And he says, girl, you look so pretty to me, like it always did, like the Spanish city to me when we were kids. And after that, come what comes next is what I consider to be some of the most beautiful outro music ever. Yeah. And it's just like you said, it's, it's Knopfler, it's Batan. Uh, Knopfler has what I think is one of his greatest guitar solos. And, you know, it's his brother who's playing acoustic guitar um, at oh, that great. moment as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow.
0: And uh, what I especially love is if you notice, the, the guitar solo builds to this climax, this crescendo, but right as it climaxes, he steps back. And that's when Batan takes center stage. Right. And then Knopfler jumps back in, in the final seconds. And just like you said, it's him and Batan performing together in unison at that moment. And it, oh man, it's magical. It is real. It's one of those, those moments, just like my Zenith from Hotel California a few weeks yeah. ago, which was pretty maids all in a row. The, the last vocal harmony at the end. It's one of those musical moments that I can repeat. I, I can put on repeat and listen to over and over and over again. It is just absolutely beautiful.
1: It's so gorgeous, I, man. I, and it, I mean, that's a testament to how good it is that, that the two of us would pick the same two and a half minute clip out of a full album as the high point of the album. I mean, that's...
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I would argue that, that Tunnel of Love is probably the best album, best song on the album. I, maybe I'm mm-hmm. wrong. Could be. Um, But, you know, like you, I also really have a soft spot for Skate Away. And Romeo and Juliet's beautiful. But that last two and a half minutes where he sort of brings it home at the end with with Roy Batan. And it's just, I I don't even, words really can't describe it. And this is one of those moments where I wish our fans would really donate shit tons of money to us so we can license the, you know, get the rights to (laughs) to play songs because this is one of those moments where i just want to go to the clip and say enough of us talking listen to what we're trying to say because words can't convey how beautiful this moment is
1: yeah no it's it's phenomenal i I just think of being a you know being a dire straits fan in 1980 you know you really you love the first album maybe you like the second one not quite as good people were talking a little trash about it in terms of reviews and you're saying, what are they going to come up with for the third album? Um, and they come out and with this fantastic first track and then it closes with that. And you're just thinking, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like,
0: and and it, 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 the intro to the track, let's not forget is sampled from the musical carousel by Rogers (laughs) and Hammerstein.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty wild. pretty wild way to start out an album.
0: It is, but you're absolutely right. It's like uh, you're, you're a fan. You weren't impressed with the last album. You put it on. You're thinking, all right, let's give this a try. And you listen to the first three, four minutes of Tunnel of Love. And you're like, this is a really good song. It's catchy. And then that last two and a half minutes, Knopfler and Roy Batan, Holy shit. It is, it is sheer perfection.
1: Yeah. I think the Batan factor on this album is, is not to be underestimated uh, you know, in Skateaway too, um, there's just some fantastic keyboard, keyboard parts in that, that I think give that, it, it adds like, you know, this girl's sort of skating through the city and in her own world with her headphones on. And somehow that, the, in Skateaway it's, it's more of like a piano sound, like a street piano sound than a, like a right. synth keyboard. And it just adds, it adds some sort of grandeur to it. Um, it does. Yeah, it's just so good, so good.
0: How how well do you think this album captures the cultural zeitgeist of nineteen eighty or the early nineteen eighties?
1: I think, I think it does a pretty good job of it. Um, you know, I I think songs like "Skate Away," um, a song like "Tunnel of Love." I think those. You know, much in the same way. It's very very E Street bandish. Um, you know, kind of getting into that that part of of life of like young love, um, kind of coming into the world. Um so I think so. I mean, you know, it even it even throws in Les Boys as uh, another That's part true of the eighties. Uh so yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe not like when we talked about um brothers and Arms. i mean that one just reeks of like mid 80s it's like the quintessential sound um this one maybe not quite as much but i think so how about how about you
0: i don't know i don't think it does uh, and i i don't think it really tried to um yeah. but i think the music and the stories here have a timeless quality of them just like romeo and juliet do yeah and uh I don't know. I don't really pick up on much of an 80s vibe here. I could be wrong. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think it does, but I don't, I don't think it has to, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, cause this comes out in 80s. So I, I definitely don't get like a uh, a mid 80s vibe from it. Um, but, you know, kind of that early, early 80s, I guess with the keyboard too, you know, a lot of the time sounding more like a piano. I mean, there were a lot of, it's a lot of late '70s, early '80s stuff that's like that. Whether it's the E Street Band, Springsteen, or um, you know, not to compare this sound to Billy Joel, but like you know, he had a lot of piano. I think there's elements of it that are um, that were pretty uh, pretty timely for that era. But I also <laughs> agree with you that these these songs are really timeless. I mean, this is the 40th anniversary and these songs I think hold up incredibly.
0: They do. Do you have any particular memories associated with the album or any pop culture references that jump out at you as you listen to it?
1: Um, you know, I, well, I was, I was going to say the, uh, Romeo and and Juliet are our high school dances, um, that factoring in, like we discussed, um, you know, we kind of already covered that. Um, you know, this was is album that i didn't I didn't really get into until the last ten years or so. So, um, you know, I don't really remember much of these from when I was a kid. But I can remember hearing songs like uh, "Skate Away" for the first time and and just being floored by it. Um, what about yourself? Do you have any particular memories?
0: I do. Yeah, there was. Uh... Going back uh, several years ago, probably close to 20, I was seeing this young lady, and uh, we'd been out maybe, I don't know, five or six times at this point, and it was, uh, it was right around this time of year, I think, probably in October, and it was later in the evening after we'd had a few drinks at the bar, and we got in my car to take a ride, and as you, knew, as you know, Chris, when uh, you live in this town, and you unfortunately live with your parents, as I did at that time, uh, there's only one place in a situation like this that you could take a young lady to, and that is the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're driving in my car to the beach, and I uh, making movies happened to be the CD that was in my uh, CD player in my car at that moment. And uh, what made this all the more interesting is that the song that was playing at the time that we were driving down on the beach was Hand in Hand. And uh, this young lady started singing along telling me how much she loved the song and how it was one of her favorites. So not only was I impressed by the fact that you know, she knew dire straits outside of Money For Nothing, but that she was such a fan of uh, such a deep cut. Uh, so I, for whatever reason, that always stuck out at me. And uh, you know, what what happened next is for a different podcast, but it was a good night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that I mean, man, when you find somebody who can, like you said, um have an appreciation for a a deep cut like that at at a young age too. That's uh huh? I mean, yeah. she
0: was younger than us. I mean it was you yeah know, that was that was important.
1: Well you know we <laughs> um <laughs> yeah no that's that's something. I always wonder um and I, I meant to look this up. I bad job I mean not looking it up, but Skataway, did that in, have anything to do with inspiring Roller Girl in uh, Boogie Nights?
0: You know, it's a good question. I've wondered that too. Now, Boogie Nights is set in, I want to say probably 76 or 77. Right. Uh, this came out in 80, but anything's possible. I mean, roller skating was a really big thing in the true, in the true. 70s and early 80s. So it's, it's possible.
1: Right. just always reminds me of that.
0: Um, and even lyrically it would almost suggest it right she's making movies on location
1: there you go you don't know what it is right it's a whole different reading of that yeah
0: (laughs) that's true what do you think perfect album
1: as good as it is i i don't think so just because to me it it kind of it doesn't stick the landing you know i think i think it can definitely get away with like the sixth track, but I think ending it with Lay's Boys. Eh, uh, while I didn't pick it for my Nadir, it, I think it does keep it from being perfect. Hmm. I also would have loved to have another track or two. I mean, um, you know, it, it feels like it's over just when it's beginning. Um, well, one of the
0: outtakes from the album, I think, got released on like a greatest hits or something. is a song called Twisting by the Pool," okay. uh, which is actually pretty good. I sometimes wonder if they just threw that one other song on there, yeah, it might have made yeah, a yeah. difference, make it an even eight.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, either you know that aside, it's, not to take anything away from it, it's it's a fantastic album. How about how about you? Do you would you say perfect album?
0: I would. Yes, I would say it's a perfect album. You know, for the longest time, I would have said no Mm. because of the aforementioned Les Boys. Yeah. Um, But in listening to the album more often of late and coming to the realization that the album is, in my belief, like I said earlier, structured like a film that has a series of vignettes, I think Les Boys is just one of the stories that's to be told on the album. And it just happens to be not as good a story as the rest of them. I look at it like this. Think about Pulp Fiction, all right? Which is also a cluster of vignettes of sorts. Mm. Uh, The Butch storyline, that's the storyline involving Bruce Willis, in my opinion, was always uh, much weaker Mm -hmm. compared to the storylines that featured uh, John Travolta's character and Samuel L. Jackson's character. But does that make the movie any less amazing? No. It's still fantastic. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I look at this. I think Lays Boys is, is awkward. It's, it's downright strange. Uh, it is weaker than the rest of the album. But I think it serves its purpose in being there to just tell a story. Um, as does every single one of the seven tracks on this album. And, and I look at it like this, too. Making movies has a running time of 37 minutes. 30 of those minutes, in my opinion, are complete perfection. Yeah. And to me, that makes it a perfect album.
1: I hear you. I hear you. I think it would be... To me, the, the unfortunate thing is that that comes at the end. Um, you know, I think if, if Lay's Boys was kind of sandwiched in the middle somewhere, maybe you pass over it a little more easily. But um, for such a great album, it would be nice to, to really end it on a a big, booming note.
0: Would you take this album over Brothers in Arms?
1: I, man, <laughs> that is, that's tough. I know what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to say yes, because this is, you know, the more critically acclaimed one. Brothers in Arms is, um, y- you know, a little more glitzy glossy
0: well brothers Uh, in arms was the much bigger commercial success though so we can't can't deny it it's it's accolades
1: yeah i man it's real close i think brothers in arms i think there's a few more songs on brothers in arms that you know a few more low points um it's probably not as consistently good um but I really like Brothers in Arms. I, might I didn't mean Brothers to put Arms. you on
0: the spot like that. No, so no, it's I, all right. It's all right. Wrong I, with me. I,
1: what would you you'd go with making movies?
0: Without a doubt. Without a doubt.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and look, that's not the point of, of, of the podcast. It's not the point of, of this episode it is to compare and contrast the two. Uh, Brothers in Arms has some, some great, great moments. But I think that the top-notch moments on making movies are really a w- watershed moment in the career of Mark Knopfler and of this band. Uh, the the two, last two and a half minutes of tunnel of love that we, that we referenced earlier, that is just absolute perfection.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a fantastic album.
0: So do yourselves a favor folks, carve out 37 minutes of time over the next week or so and listen to making movies Uh, by Dire Straits, an album that is celebrating its 40th birthday. Wow. On October 17th.
1: How about that? Right? Amazing. Amazing.
0: Chris, as always, thank you. And thank you all for listening to us. Those folks in Lithuania and Saudi Arabia, New Zealand, Peru, Morocco, and beyond. And tune in next week.
1: Yes, and uh, hit us up at podcast closely or on Instagram. What is it again, John? It's uh, listen
0: listen closely dot podcast.
1: Yes, and uh, please, if you have if you have a second and you can rate or review or both uh, for our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, John, it's been a pleasure.
0: See you next week. Always a pleasure.
1: Sounds Be good. well. Bye bye.